Awesome. Cool. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Technological. Today, we have a special guest, Jason Ma. Uh, Jason and I worked together at Accenture in the summer of 2016 when we were both interns uh, at Accenture. Uh, currently, Jason is working at Scale AI and previously worked at Oracle. Um, so, Jason, I'm going to let you kick it off. You know, can you just give a quick background about yourself? You know, what you're doing now, what you did previously, and uh, yeah, come to dive deeper into each segment. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, Obviously, it's always good to see some familiar faces like Avi. I know we met in Accenture, we've always kind of talked about tech. Um, so quick intro myself, my name's Jason. Um, been out of college for about four years. I've uh, been in the tech space for, for about four years. Started my career as a product manager at Oracle, uh, working on their SaaS migration to the cloud, a lot of applications that uh, they're selling today uh, in terms of their you know, cloud offering. Um, but after about a year or two, um, a little bit bored, learned the ropes there, and decided to go to a smaller company, which is where I'm at today, um, Scale AI. Uh, what Scale does is accelerating the development of uh, machine learning and AI by building the infrastructure of the operations, the product that's necessary for like building machine learning models, which I'm happy to go um, deeper in as well. Um, in terms of kind of my own experience and what I enjoy doing, I see myself as a builder. Uh, it's the reason why I ran into product management, why a product interests me. Uh, my initial background was actually in mechanical engineering, typical you know, software background, but with some software experience as and whatnot. So, um, so after you know graduating, things that I was interested in was like building, and the software iteration cycle tends to be a little bit faster. And so it made sense to kind of go into product, go into product management, continuing to learn how to build things. It doesn't have to be you know, necessarily purely technical, but programs, operations, companies and whatnot so that's kind of my um my hope in the future as well so yeah that's a quick tidbit of myself and my background so i'll take it back to you all let's dive a little deeper into you being at mit you, you, you said you were a mechanical engineer and you know you you realized you're a builder but where'd you hear about the world of tech how did that come out of uh how did that come into your mind and and then how did you start preparing yourself for getting a role in tech yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I think I forgot to mention. Yeah, so I spent four years at MIT, did mechanical engineering course two, what we call it, 286, and with um, some focus on like mechatronics, essentially robotics. But my foray into tech was actually do a student group. Um, I think, you know, when you're in college, you actually meet a lot of folks through the pro like groups you're in and the things you're interested in. I was in this student group that was very involved in the hackathon scene at the time. Uh, still, hackathons are still very big in the college collegiate zones, but that was my first foray into like software and product and whatnot. And I've always had an interest in technology uh, growing up. I was in like a science and STEM program, and it was just something that I was generally interested in, which is like, you know, into computers, I guess. Um, but from there, it exposed to me to like what it meant to build, like what it meant to kind of bring tech to to outside, like you know an institution outside of um, you know, just your classroom so um you know i was part of the teams that helped organize hack mit part of the teams that kind of brought the companies onto campus to talk about variety of uh, you know roles kind of like what you all do in a podcast talking about roles that are available outside in the industry and through that allowed me to kind of open up my network um meet folks in various roles you know 
you know, uh, in product management. Obviously, when you're in college, product management is like very nebulous. You're like, what is product management? What is product marketing? What is product? Uh, I think, I think especially in a technical college, they don't really um, teach that too too much. So the exposure that I got was mostly through these student programs that, that I met, and and I think like how I, you know, how how I ended up joining Scale was through some folks that I met in these you know student groups that were very tech focused because of mutual interests and and some folks there are currently working at Scale as well. So uh, a, it helps build a network. It helps build you know the experience and exposure to all these variety of different roles. So that was how I kind of got into that tech space. And once I knew that, you know, it was more or less putting in the work, understanding the industry and kind of learning, um, learning the ins and outs of, um, I guess, tech in that, in that case. Yeah, I think that's so important, just like getting involved on campus some way, because classes will never teach you, you know, mm-hmm. how, what do I do as a product manager and what does even a role look like at like Facebook, even like a software engineering role, they'll never teach yeah. you what it looks like, because I think like we went to Georgia Tech and like like mm-hmm. MIT, it's it's really research heavy where you're teaching yep. more like theoretical stuff versus like actual like practical like skills. So yeah, I think yeah, getting involved in campus is super important. Uh, yeah. I kind of want to also like dive deeper into you know your thoughts around going into product and like what the process looked like. Like how did you mm-hmm. think about the interview process? Because I know the summer before you were in consulting, right? And then after yeah. that summer, you decided like I want to go work in product. So can you kind of just like walk us through? like the interview process, like how you thought about which firm you wanted to like work with and, you know, some of the biggest uh, like resources you use to actually like get yourself ready for interviews and everything. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. And I'll echo kind of your point around like you know, joining clubs and those skills that you develop because I feel like those were some of the most valuable skills I've learned, just like how to manage different expectations, manage different like vendors that we were working with that end up being more useful in like, some of these cross-functional product roles than like the pure technical skill because that's almost a given right because we were at a college for that um so it's those skills that, that i found was most useful coming out of colleges you know through these groups yeah so to, to, to answer your question the short answer i think is how i end up choosing this path is like you know the, the summarized we spent at accenture there was a good exposure of the business side of technology you know accenture is well known for its you know, implementation consulting, digital strategy consulting, a lot of that type of work. So it exposed me to at least like what software can do in the business world. And then I start to look for roles, you know, afterwards uh, in both like, I definitely thought about doing consulting and going purely to the business side. I always knew that the technology is what fundamentally interests me. So from there, that was kind of what I was anchoring on. I wanted that like technological approach to a lot of these, whatever role that I end up doing. And obviously I did apply to like just whatever product management roles there are, but I think the best thing that helped me to understand the role was talking to folks. So I think you know that this, these podcasts like these are really cool because uh, you get to learn about the roles. And as I mentioned through that student group, I was able to talk to just a lot of folks in product management and talk to them what it's like their day to day, what it's like to be a product manager and what it means to ship a product and ship features. And that really helped me understanding like how to position myself and how to think about what I wanted to do next. Even in my senior year, the classes I ended up taking, I, I forgo like a mechanical engineering thesis. I was like, let me take a product design class, like a purely design and UX class. Cause I was like, well, I have credit and like might as well spend that energy preparing for the future rather than like 
focusing again on the theoretical on the research, which is good if that's what you're interested in. So that helped a lot for my future careers as well. Um, in terms of preparing, to be honest, like when you talk to folks, ask them the same question, but they'll usually tell you certain uh, resources that they use and certain guides that they have available. I mean, the, the traditional one that everyone points to is like cracking the coding interview or cracking the PM interview, but that was good in terms of giving a framework of how to think about the problems, but the details of the day-to-day -day, um, was very more directed resources that other product managers has accumulated. There's a lot of blogs out there that are very product management focused that really helped me understand kind of the the day-to-day. The -day. And I think that's harder to understand than the framework of like how to get an interview at these larger companies. And, and to some extent, like the interview process was, there was definitely a lot. Um, uh, and there was a lot to kind of go over and typical product interviews are very much like, like first round and then an onsite in which they test you on product design and a bunch of things and whatnot. So that was kind of my own experience and how I prepared, um, talking to a lot of folks, gathering deeper material and just really trying to understand the day-to-day -day. and until you finally get the job and actually be on the job it's still very you know you still really don't know um as a new grad yeah so uh yeah totally agree like you you think the role is is it's not totally different than what it is when you start versus before mm -hmm. but it's definitely you know you, you don't really learn yeah. totally what it is until you get into it yeah so I mean, specifically you, talking about sorry go ahead right. go ahead Oh, I was going to say, like, I mean, you were, you're in product marketing, I guess, at, at Salesforce. Yeah. I mean, you, you probably did you do that coming out of college. That was probably a very completely different role as well, right? Like your interpretation of it versus what it is in reality. Totally. Like, I thought it was going to be a lot more, uh, a lot more public speaking driven, event driven, creating content. Um, and I thought, you know, it would be a lot more analysis heavy. And really, like it's it's not as analysis heavy. Uh, so that was just one thing that I learned. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's 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 always interesting. And, and the thing is, I think at different companies, every company does it differently. Yeah. So um, that's just another thing for everybody to keep in mind. But uh, specifically talking about Oracle, um, how did you hear about Oracle? What got you excited? Like, were you interviewing for a specific team? I uh, would love to dive into to your experience there. Yeah, I mean, so. In terms of the Oracle program, they do like a, they also do like a little bit of a matching process as well. So you do like a general first round, and then they do like match you with certain teams. And I think I went in almost like as a software interview at first because I just wasn't sure. I was like, I could do software, like you know, give this a shot. You know, you're just looking for jobs at that point, and you want to get a wide net of um, outreaches. And I think. What's key here, I think the lesson learned is you should just ask if they have product positions. I think a lot of companies don't advertise it. Like, I mean, obviously Facebook has their notorious RPM program, uh, Google has their APM, but, but I come, came from like a pure mechanical engineer. My profile don't necessarily fit that. But I just simply asked, was like, hey, I know we're interviewing for like a software role, but do you guys have product positions open? And I think the key takeaway there is like, well, whatever companies, I apply to a lot of software roles and just ask, hey, do you have product <laughs> available? And then ended up working out a little bit because they found a few teams that were actually was looking for like very junior product managers. And, you know, at the time, Oracle was not known to be a, a very early product manager companies because a lot of their 
their software is business processes. So they take a lot of ex-consultants that worked with a lot of companies and kind of deal with that. Um, so the team I ended up like was end up joining or matching with and doing a round of interviews with was essentially a project management platform for financial back backing. So similar to like Asana, but with like a NetSuite integration with it. So it's very interesting. So a lot of the customers were like um, construction companies, um, utility companies, companies that have both a project management component and a financial thing that they have to integrate with. So uh, pretty much like <laughs> my experience there was just kind of shook of luck almost. It was just like, hey, do you have it available? And they were like, yeah, we, we do well. We, we go do an interview loop. And then it worked out and I was like, well, you know, like this would be a great pivot. This is kind of the pivot that I was waiting for to go and from a mechanical engineering background into software. And I was like, all right, let's let's do it. Um, and from there, that's that's how I kind of got that start. And I think the key takeaway here as well is asking for the role, but also like just getting your first product management role goes a long way because you like you said, the role is so different across various companies and just learning the basics it was was huge. So I very optimized for the ability to kind of learn the ropes and just even see what it's how it's done to ship software and sell it. Yeah, no, I think that's super important, especially like like going back to your key takeaway, just always ask what they have because it can't hurt to ask, right? Like it's like, mm -hmm. do you have this role available or do you have this position available? Even when you're internal at companies and you want to move around, you're never going to get dinged yeah. for asking a question, right? Yeah, so exactly. I think that's really important. And like number and this, two, like, like, go ahead, sorry. Oh yeah, and also a lot of companies they don't uh, they don't publish a lot of some of the internal roles, yeah. uh, especially for new grads as well. So because mm -hmm. they're like more they want to keep those like internal roles kind of for their internal employees that want to move into those, yeah. right? So it's just yeah, it's just really just like hustling and asking and being like, do you have this open? Do you have this open? And just like taking your opportunities, right? Like like you said, it's just getting that one break. Like you break into product once and now you're in. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's like really important. Uh, I kind of want to also like touch on your time at Oracle. So if you could kind of go mm -hmm. over like what your day-to-day -day looked at, like at Oracle, like what it was as a new grad joining Oracle um, as a product manager and, you know, just mm -hmm. um, how you worked with the different teams at Oracle and just kind of the skills that you thought you needed to have going into working at Oracle and like the skills mm -hmm. you feel that like you came out of uh, after Oracle. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, to just kind of describe the situation at Oracle at the time I joined, it was like 2017 or late, early 2017, they had made a huge push to essentially move a lot of their applications on the cloud, to the cloud. And I joined in as probably one of the most junior members on the team. And obviously I was, my goal was to absorb as much information as well. And folks were super, you know, these, these folks have been in the industry for a while and there was a lot of learning opportunity. And in terms of like my role, well, at the time it was, um, I was assigned to essentially like a product work, a small product oracle that they have within this project and financial management portfolio software. Um, and I you know, got to learn from a pretty senior uh, product manager and he helped me out a lot in terms of just, you know, framing things correctly for me and focusing on like, oh, here's like how we operate in an agile environment and whatnot. So I joined at a very unique time at Oracle, to be honest. It was like, they're in a way, they're trying to play catch up to the cloud um, to, to in a lot of ways, but now they're in much better position in 2021 because they've made that investment. And Oracle, I think is a very, um, not necessarily old company, but it's a very ingrained company in the industry. 
Um, uh, I think it's a company that has a wide net that most folks don't really see, right? Like they build databases, but actually they build a full stack of, you know, infrastructure and software and software that powers a lot of our day-to-day, -day, right? So I think what I was able to learn there and really approach the problem was, you know, like how software ends up being sold and how it ends up affecting the world. I think Oracle is one of those infrastructure companies that, um, that, that has a far reach and it's a very sales-driven company in a lot of ways. Um, I, I'm sure that's kind of the case at Salesforce as well, where it's like, you, you know, you're developing features oh, yeah. for customers that are going to sign contracts that are like five to 10 years. And I'm like, I just graduated, man. That's that's two college degrees and a PhD. <laughs> and so you're, you're thinking about these things in such a long term from a sales perspective that you're just like, like, for example, like obviously the Jetta contract is the more like publicly well-known contract. That's a 10-year contract, right? <laughs> and so uh, these companies really look at a longer horizon. And so it's very unique to look at a product and understanding the approach of what they were trying to do. And I was assigned to a team that was transitioning from that really on-premise product to a uh, more more modern SaaS platform. So you can kind of see that now in 2021 where the company's a lot more well-positioned. And some of the key things I worked on was like exposing our um, uh, SaaS infrastructure through, a, through an API, through a, um, through, uh, through a way that allows folks to integrate in very easily, through a way that, um, Build, build like a platform integration with all of these existing com customers who have our on-premise software. So it's that transition period at Oracle. And that was a great learning experience, right? Um, so for me, two things, bottom line that I learned a lot was, you know, sell and how to plan against that with your software product. And then lastly, how to ship, you know, ship features that ultimately drive really good business value. Because um, some of the key features we worked on was like integration, which is very much needed if you're going to have a company go from an on-premise set of software to the cloud. So um, it was a very a lot of learning that's done in terms of just understanding the tech industry. I think that's something I didn't realize when I was in school. Like just yeah. no idea. Yeah. Like because like the technical stuff came naturally. The business yeah. side, not so much. And I mean, Avi probably is, you know, you're in business school, so you're probably the expert here in the business side, but that did not come naturally to me. And I think that's a part of product, you know, coming from a technical background that I had to really learn with the teams yeah. and really be able to explain to the engineering managers, like, where does the business side play, play a part in this? Like, which customers need this and why? Yeah, so, sort of like how, uh, you know, we say they should ingrain more more of these roles into undergrad classes like can you teach people how to be a software engineer or product manager in in the classes they should also teach people like what the landscape is like so you know what is an enterprise enterprise SaaS business mm -hmm. how do they make money what do they what are the things they care about um and stuff like that and, and enterprise SaaS is a huge industry i mean there's tons of companies touching a bunch of different verticals doing amazing things for other businesses um, so it's really cool how you got that experience at or Oracle, especially at this paradigm shift of like moving from from on-prem to the cloud. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and also like being a very young product manager at the time, I'm sure I'm sure you would bring a lot of really cool ideas, um, new innovation and, and like new ways to work to Oracle. Mm -hmm. So transitioning into scale, you know, what were you just ready for something new? Obviously, Oracle is a, is a big company. Um, what was your thought process there? 
Yeah, for sure. And, and to touch a point you, you mentioned about the classes, like I, I had, a, we, we hired like a, a few new grads recently at scale and one of them texted me. It's like, oh, I have some credit that I have available. And I was like, what classes, they're like, what classes should I take? And like, the, the, he went to MIT as well. What classes should I take? And I was like, well, take a course 15, take a business course, take a business analytic course. I think they'll most prepare you for the role. Uh, versus like another engineering course, which is great, but you know, to kind of echo yeah, agree. the point of like, um, you're going to go into SaaS software, that's very key. Yeah, um, so my transition to scale. Um, so I think I, I was was at Oracle for a year and a half and I had a friend that recently joined scale and then reached out, I was like, oh, I have this very cool opportunity. I know we've kind of had a few conversations about you always wanting to kind of move, move smaller. I think like something that I wasn't, not necessarily not intentional about, but you know, once I went to Oracle, I always had that kind of like ditch, like you mentioned earlier in the call, like to, to kind of go smaller, right? To kind of see what that's like, kind of, because that's like, if you're in the, in the tech space in college, you're always thinking like of startup, startup, like growth companies. So that was kind of the motivation. Uh, but at the same time, like, I think the main push was that at a big company, like I mentioned previously, it's it, you're looking at such a long-term horizon and that's really good, but you're kind of optimizing for like five to 10 year learnings of shipping like a large scale product, which is cool. But <laughs> if I was like, I don't want to wait five years before, you know, the roadmap really plays itself out. So I, and I wanted something faster, something more, um, more, more um, growth oriented where there was more at stake. At a larger company, you can screw up, but, you'll have a safety net. Like there's not less at stake. You can run through walls, but let's say you get stuck, someone else can help you along the way, which is cool if that's kind of the structure you're looking for. When I chose to go for a smaller company or look into smaller companies at the time, the goal was to like be at bat, like take some swings. And, and that's kind of what I was optimizing for. Um, and, and that's probably a very common type of way of thinking about it. But I think what, one, of, one of my uh, value criterion was like, you know, the worst thing I can do is like not take any risk. Cause like, I'm so not, not necessarily leveraged, but there's a lot of safety net that, that I have in like a larger tech company. The worst thing I could do early in my twenties is not to take those risks and not to like be at bat. And so I found scale, um, my friend kind of uh, let me know about the company and I've heard about scale uh, for, for a while as, as well, but didn't really know what it did because uh, one of the founder uh, dropped out of MIT and we happened to overlap for a year and I've had like hung out with him a few times and great guy, smart founder, Alex, um, our CEO, um, super good at what he does, amazing dude. So uh, so it just it just made natural sense uh, when, I, when I got the position it was like, yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's be a bet. Let's... Um, push the stakes a little bit higher um, when it comes to uh, going to a smaller company. So that was kind of my line of thought. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You definitely get a lot more responsibility at smaller companies. I personally haven't gone to like a, a small company yet, so I don't, I don't know what it's like. I know um, it, it is a lot different. Can you quickly mm -hmm. kind of describe what scale is and what scale does? Uh, and then mm -hmm. also like after, after doing that, kind of also to talk about like, did you have to interview when you went to scale? Like, what did that look like? How did the whole mm -hmm. process kind of work? Um, and like, what, what was your new role when you initially joined scale as well? Yeah, and then, for sure. Uh, one last thing, sorry. Uh, I know I'm like asking a lot of questions in one, but 
talk about what what stage was scale at when you joined it um and like and maybe like talk about like what it's at now and then i want to also kind of touch on like how it's grown and how you've grown with scale and like being there at like a hyper growth company right so yeah that, that's a great question and it's a very fascinating one as well so um i'll answer uh the first one telling you all about like what scale does and, and what it's trying to do and what it will continue to do uh, so scale is an ai infrastructure company with the mission of accelerating the development of ai the products we build are to provide ml engineers developers and other um, folks in the tech industry with a toolkit to essentially um, build machine learning models and a big part of what machine learning requires is data and so scale provides an api that you can send us the data unstructured data We'll clean it up for you and process it in a way that will be useful for you um, further down the line when it comes to like tuning your models and sending it through. And I think we're a very data-driven company and we're in the space of providing both the tooling and the data for our customers. So one particular use case would be, you know, uh, the self-driving car industry. Um, they need a crap ton of data on what is a car and what's a tree, what's a person in order to build the models to detect these features. So scale um, provides that data for them, labels it, provides the software to do so. And you know how scale ultimately came about was like in 2016, um, you know, Alex decided, or 20, 20, yeah, roughly 2016, he, he started his YC journey. And at the time he was doing this kind of remote distributed work platform. And he didn't really have a particular use case at the time, but what he found was that these, uh, uh, the cohort of companies at the time, which is a lot of self-driving car companies, one thing they struggled with was getting all this data, was they didn't have a platform or infrastructure to do it. So that's how we landed on our first core product, which is like our LiDAR labeling product. And from there, we expanded to two-dimensional labeling, which is your images. Uh, the way I describe it to folks is like, you know, on Google, when you log in, you have to do the captcha. So label was this is the road. And that data gets recorded and sent to like a machine learning model. And from there, we've expanded to uh, content and language or like language-based intent type of labeling. And then we're continuing to build new products. Uh, one product we launched recently is called Nucleus, which has nothing data labeling, but has everything to do with data management and data selection. So the premise there is, it's like, if you can't select the best data available, then you can tune your models even better. But if you have like millions and millions of raw data that's labeled, how do you know what are the key metrics when it comes to selecting the right data set to push into your models for training? So that's a one new feature and we're continuing to invest in these like newer products along the different product verticals and keep pushing the boundaries of like ML and AI. So that's a long-winded answer on like what scale does, dive a little bit deep into each of our product verticals. Um, and then to tell you a little bit about kind of like my own journey at scale and how that came about. So I joined scale roughly at um, series B. They re-raised re re the series B in like 2018, November, like the summer of 2018, I joined early 2019. So like a few months after. And there was a very unique time. This is before we had content and language, before we even have our two-dimensional labeling. It was just our three-dimensional labeling product. And, but we found a bunch of customers that wanted it, 
but we needed to essentially scale up both the product and operations to 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 service all of our customers and make sure that the we're like feature complete to some extent for the product. So I joined in that very unique time in a role that was just like a generalist role. And in a small company, um, we were like 40 at the time. Generalists are great. <laughs> you get, they, they love, we, small companies love generalists because like you can do everything. You can do like analysts, you can be an analyst, you could be a product manager, you can be, a, you know, random things that we needed to solve. But at that time, it was both a product and operational need. We had a product that was maybe like 60, 70% ready for all of our customers. And then there's that 30%. And we had, our operation was like almost non-existent. We used a lot of outsourcing to do the operations. But from there, I evolved into a role where we, that I'm in today, which is what we call product and operations at scale. Um, and it's a little bit different than your traditional product and operation roles where you might see at larger companies. But core to what scale does is just scaling up these data pipelines for our customers. So this is a team that focuses on that scaling, right? How do we build a product and the tooling such that our operations can scale at the same time? And as we stand today, scale is very much a both engineering focused company and an operations focused company. Um, our CTO that we recently hired from Amazon was in Amazon Robotics and Warehouses which is like fundamentally very operationally intensive and very engineering driven. So that's kind of our goal is to be dominate both in the engineering department and the operational department when it comes to this data labeling. And my role at the time was tasked to essentially scale up our 3D labeling um, processes, operations and product and built, shipped a lot of features, shipped a lot of uh, operations, had a chance to like launch the product in foreign countries because uh, that's where a lot of our you know, labeling operations are, are at, at that time, uh, and so is. So uh, it was a great time to join a company, a Series B, great time to learn. And basically, like, it was, you know, if, if we can ship the product and if we can scale up the operation, it was literally deal or no deal. So that's pretty much what was at stake, right? Like, going back to the point that we mentioned previously, like, at a larger company, no deal, fine, you go and find someone else. <laughs> but as smaller companies, it's do or die sometimes. So you gotta get the next deal, gotta keep scaling, gotta keep the growth engine going. So it was a very unique time. Um, and now we're a series B company. Um, we've kind of raised two rounds. And I think my, my, my best lesson, what I've learned the most was how to be agile and how to shift priorities and also like how to solve those problems were in each, you know, every time we kind of change our focus and be really, really agile in that sense. So um, really enjoyed it all. And, and now we're, we're about a 300 person company. And so we've kind of 10X in size and whatnot. So overall it's like pretty good. Awesome, thanks for all that context. That was a really good explanation of, of what Scale AI is how the company has grown, how your role has, has shifted and changed and, and like really what product and, and product ops is. And I just wanna like explain to our listeners um, who may not know uh, more at a technical level, but this labeling problem is a big problem that scale is, is solving and, and tackling. And uh, those who don't really know machine learning, like machine learning is, think about it as a way to uh, predict things that will happen in the future based off of historical data. And so, so if you want to, to say whether this picture is a cat or a dog, 
you need a bunch of examples in the past of what cats look like and what dogs look like. And so being able to have a platform like scale that will annotate or, or label those, those historical pieces of data is really what um, helps like those machine models be accurate. And something we learned at Salesforce is, and in my role at, um, at uh, for Salesforce Einstein, which is our layer of AI and Salesforce is a lot of customers were having trouble figuring out what, uh, like whether to actually believe the models because they didn't have the best data in Salesforce. And so that was the biggest problem for us. And the biggest challenge was like, how do we make sure that they actually have good, accurate data? Um, so that's awesome. I, uh, I think yeah. you guys are, are doing a tackling that a big was problem. A, that was a challenge at Oracle as well. Like uh, I, I obviously like I went to school and a lot of my friends went to AI and software, but a lot of big companies don't understand this data piece. They're like, what yeah. the fund product managers are always ask, like, what can I build? Like, what's the feature here? And I was like, it doesn't really matter what feature you want. We don't have the data because you know, this cloud offerings, you don't own the data, it's your customer's data. So like, we don't have the data to, to build these features. So fundamentally coming from that data angle is it's very unique and very important. So I think you, you put it very nicely. It's like, how can historical data inform kind of future decisions? And I think like a lot of companies are still figuring it out and scales here to essentially democratize that knowledge, really like, you know, teach people how to, how to do it. And we're gonna continue to do that in the next few years and investing in different areas as well. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's such awesome. a problem, right? Like even in consulting, there was, you'd see all these like Fortune 100 companies that have so much data, but they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to actually mm -hmm. like learn on it. And it's funny, I heard someone talk about like how back in the 60s and the 70s, there was um, like, you didn't have the compute power for like ML and AI. Cause like the algorithms have been there forever, but now it's a data problem. Like now we don't have good enough data to actually like train our models on. So it's just so interesting. Like this is like the next big problem to tackle to make sure we can break through for like AI and like ML, so. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah. a very shovels based problem. It's not like, yeah. yeah. So, so but yeah, that's so, a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. A, a lot of our listeners actually, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking what kind of job should they get? Uh, what kind of role should they get? What company should they tackle? And I think mo most people, you know, like, like us, all, all three of us, like when we were going through college and we were figuring out the companies, generally the companies that sifted to the top were the big brand name companies, Oracle, Salesforce, you know, Facebook, Google, et cetera, right? Um, and those are generally the safer things to do. And, and they're good because you can, you know, learn how things are done right from, from these great companies and, and kind of put like a stamp on, on your resume. But I would love to really dive into, you know, how much you've learned at scale and, and you know, the advice that you have to anybody who is looking to get a job at a big tech company or a startup, like what, you know, what is the learning been that you've had? And, you know, do you recommend people getting into something like this right out of college or going to Oracle like what you did? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. And I, I'll frame it from this perspective, you know, like reasons why a hyper growth company can be a fit for you and reasons why a hyper growth company might not be a fit for you. And then compare that against uh, how a larger company has a lot of value as well. And to your point, like, you know, when you are first exposed to tech, you hear the big name players. But I think a key question to ask yourself is like, what is it that you care about what is it that you want to do for me is very much like building and product and and sh shipping a lot of things and 
the comparison I, I talked about previously was like at Oracle, we're ship, shipping things at like years, longer term timelines. And that wasn't what I was looking for in the long run. And I think at a smaller company scale, you can be a part of the debt building and the hyper growth, you can be a part of that. But you forego a lot of the, what you call like structure mentorship, structure nature of our program. You, you learn by just like hitting the ball a bunch of times. So if you, if you know, if you enjoy very much like figuring things out for yourself, being that bad without sort any sort of like, there's no batting cage. There's just a, you know, maybe like a machine just to go, go off my batting analogy, just like keep swinging. And you get a lot, you get a lot more opportunities to be at bat at a company where the stake is higher. Obviously, if you fail, there's more at stake as well. But hey, like a smaller company, we fail all the time. Like there's a lot of times where our initiatives also don't work out at a startup. And you learn how to pivot and you learn all of that. And I would say like I would, con I would condense it and say like I've probably learned more in the, my two years here at scale about just business, about product, about scaling that I think will help me at a larger company or a smaller company. Because these are skills I think I was really condensed to learning uh, into a two-year period because I was at bat. Now, that's just my own style of learning. If folks are more interested in like learning the ropes and thinking how you can have large, large scale effects at larger companies, there's incredible value of going to a larger company and learning through structure, learning through program. That's why universities exist, right? Because the programs are amazing. Like I learned so much at MIT. And so uh, I would say that the bottom line is like, if you're more interested in learning by doing, a hyper growth company is perfect for you. If you're more interested in understanding a missing component that you don't have, I think a larger company is great for you. I think for me, Oracle is great in understanding the business side of a product, which I just didn't have any structure in learning, right? And once I did that, what I learned in scale was how to actually execute against it and in a condensed timeline, right? Instead of shipping in three to four years, it's shipped like in a week or two weeks because our customer needs it and our deal depends on it. And I think that's how I've always evaluated learning uh, when it comes to a hyper growth company and a, um, and a larger company. Now, in terms of how a small company might not be a good fit for you, is like, if you, if you don't like, if you don't like being thrown around all the time in terms of shifting priorities, <laughs> it's not like, I, I definitely worked with some folks that, you know, come in early on, and, you know, is younger in their career, hasn't experienced that level of like change, like, companies pivot all the time and like scale pivots all the time in terms of our initial perspective. So you're going to be ready to adapt to no one's going to like, no one's going to have the time to be, sit you down and be like, look, like you're just going to have to run with it. Some we do, but it's going to be at a cost to the company. So I think if you don't enjoy that, I think that hyper growth companies might not be the best fit. But if you do, like myself, I love, you know, just like, like a level of chaos that, 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 that smaller companies have. And so I've really enjoyed that a lot. And, and that could just be like, just my own learning style. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice across the board and it's honest. Um, kind of, you know, when, when also thinking 
talking about your your first couple roles or first role out of college, people think that these bigger tech companies also compensate a lot better. Um, but I think we're kind of in a new age where a lot of these startups, especially hyper growth startups, are getting funded a lot. And they're in order to compete and get the talent that they need for you know, like in order to be successful, they need to get the people from the Googles, the Facebooks, the bigger companies. And so they're starting to pay almost just as much, um, if not more. And so I kind of want to dive into, you know, the compensation side of things, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, how how would you explain the upside and and the equity side um, to to our listeners, just to get them a little excited about, you know, um, how working at a startup can really help financially as well. Yeah, that's a great question. That's something, um, and I'll answer this by giving us view on like hiring and recruiting. I think beyond just, you know, finding the right market and selling to customers, hiring is the next most important thing for a growing company, if not on the same level. Like, to be honest, like if you're a growth company, hiring talent is one of the most important things for a sustainable company's future. And so, start startups it matters for each and every hire and if a company believes and this might be scales philosophy but i think this should be true for any startup that's like to make it big it's like every hire you make has to generate like 10x growth or like some multiple of growth and the framework i use is like at a larger company they can absorb that inefficiency in terms of hiring right? like they can spend the money like hire one candidate if it doesn't work out they, they leave the company and it's still fine. And if you look at the stocks or for Fortune 500 to 100 companies, it grows fairly linearly. And But the structures are essentially log-log, right? And multiples of 10, one manager, 10, 3x, and so forth. So you get sublinear output, for, for lack of better terms. And a high-growth startup, the investments that investors are making, it ha- every hire has a yield like not sub, suboptimal or not even sublinear like as a quadratic in terms of output. So it's extremely important for a startup to hire really well. Now to tie it back to your financial question and why that matters, it's like, if you know your own worth and you know your own leverage and you know you're the right fit for this startup, a startup's willing to pay for that if they believe you're the one person that can generate like 10X growth for them. Because it's like the marginal return on investment is like just way higher for each hire, right? And so you let it frame it from that perspective of like, what's your value add? Can you help this company 2X, 3X, and 4X? And each hire is, you know, that's obviously from a more purely capitalistic perspective. Obviously, cultural fit is important. Peer skill is important. Personality fit is equally important. But hiring is extremely important to our startups. Now, to tie, again, to tie it back to the compensations piece, uh, I would say like at an earlier stage company, obviously cash flow is very important. And so you're definitely gonna see less cash, but I would say if you're early in your career, going back to the risk risk idea, you could take that risk because you condense your learning, you condense your your set of opportunities and growth. If you pick the right startup and take that risk, like forego a sub, like essentially like why people pay for like, you know, school or business school or not. You're paying, you're essentially thinking of that salary difference as like paying for learning. And that's kind of my, my own, rationale was at the time as well so at the early stage company you're going to get more equity and less uh, for, for folks uh, less cash and in terms of equity that piece is going to be very very 
different and opaque to, to understand, but I'll try to explain it in a, in a good way. Uh, I think depending on the stage you're joined, the valuations are gonna be different. And, and if let's say you end up providing that 5X, 10X growth to the company as a hire, you're gonna see that in the evaluation going up. So if finance, financially speaking, that valuation is like you're almost like hedged it lottery ticket that has a potential chance of generating an expected value of X amount. So let's say you join a series B company. Statistically, maybe like 80% of series Bs, 85% of series B companies fail. So you essentially have a 15% chance of succeeding if you're at that company. And if you're believing yourself, the equity is gonna 10X if, if you are able to 10X in growth. So it scales fairly linearly. And I've been lucky to join Scale, which is a very, I would say like very unique company to see that growth. Not many companies grow this fast. So I would index a little bit lower in terms of how you wanna stretch your, your, your multiples. So, you know, think of your equity in terms of multiples on return um, later down the road. Um, so I think that's probably the best golden rule to think about it, depending on what stage you join. Um, think about what value you can provide, what how the company can multiply in growth and just add a multiple and valuing your equity in terms of the the, the components. Um, ask your company, like, hey, what's the fair market value of the, the shares? And then if you believe in the company, give it a multiple and then assign like an expected value and kind of value that piece. So those are the trade-offs of how I look at equity and how folks should really think about it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting how you kind of equated it to like you're giving up cash right now, but you're you're getting so much in learning and personal growth and also like growth in business. Like you said, like you were able to condense like so much learning uh, and skill building into your two years so far at scale. Uh, and yeah, I agree. Like you have to have conviction in what you're doing. And I'm sorry, we've talked about this is like, when you make that jump, like you, you need to have conviction in the company that you're going to, like the skills that you can bring to the company. Um, so I think that's like really important for like any any grads right now are like new grads that are, are looking to jump straight into the startup world is like they have mm -hmm. to have conviction in like what they do um, and like why they're doing it and the skills <coughs> that they can bring. So yeah, and the skills yeah. that you learn have applications for larger companies as well. And there's mm -hmm. value in bringing larger company skills to a startup as well. And that's why startups hire and like execs from the SaaS world or any sort of software world coming from big companies. So it's so, like vice versa. It's a trade that, you know, very so, much. My my like quick question though is like, do you think your time at Oracle has helped you become a better like operator at scale, or do you think you could have jumped straight into scale from like your undergrad? Yeah, I think I I could have, but I think the value add that I would have brought to scale would have been vastly different. I would think mm -hmm. I would have been able to add an even more technical approach, and scale was already a technical company, right? Like at the time I joined, all the engineers were like top of the going back to that hiring piece was top of the crops at MIT because Alex knew knew them and were friends with them and kind of started a company together. So the technical skills were already there as a basis. I think the value I add I brought was just like a more operator approach, like having some been at a larger company, understanding the cross-functional dynamics a little bit more and being able to work with various teams that were trying to scale. So like as we were scaling, your teams are growing, so you need a better processes of working together. And what, and I think what I saw at a larger company really helped me bring that to scale. Like, okay, how can teams, what are teams looking for 
what are this team looking to do? What do they need? And how do we balance all of that with the roadmap that we've kind of planned against or needed to do? So I think the, the I think it, it, I would just brought something different to the table, um, having gone straight from college into the scale. I would have had to learn how to you know work with people a, lot, a little bit more. Uh, but I think you bring you bring a different set of skills. I would say. Mm-hmm. And if I joined, I would probably helped a lot more on like the uh, the like mechatronic and the sensor fusion piece because that was like where I studied a bit in college. That 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 is probably what they needed at that time. If I joined right after college it was like 2017, they were still figuring out their like sensor integration with a lot of these data sets. So that would probably have been what I would end up doing. But at the time I joined and the moment in which my own career hit was like I bring more value in terms of thinking through longer term initiatives and how to build larger programs, larger operations and larger, you know, scaling of our product. And so that was very unique. So it's timing was a big one, but um, but you bring different skill sets. And I think like um, like new 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 students coming out of college, think about like what you bring to the table and how you can help the company. That's usually a pretty good framework. And lastly, like what you want to do with the company. I think as a smaller startup, you get so many opportunities to be like, hey, I have this idea. And usually the founder is like, oh, that's a great idea. What do we need to do to succeed? Do it, like just ship it. Like, so mm-hmm. you get that opportunity. And I think that's a fun, 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 fun tidbit as well. Yeah, you definitely get to be a lot more entrepreneurial without like having to actually like go start like a whole new company around it and I think I think your point about going to Oracle and kind of gaining those skills and like I, I guess they're called quote-unquote business skills right or you know like scaling skills or whatever it, it's really important because you have that technical background and you can always like tap into like those tech the technical knowledge that you have but you also have the business background which you can also tap in so it's kind of speaking both languages at once at least that's the way like I've thought about it because I I studied computer science certain studies like industrial engineering so it was like two like pretty technical heavy you know undergrad majors and it's just like you have to learn the business side if you ever want to like start or go work in like a company and like help scale it and help grow it so yeah our core company is is the people is like Mm -hmm. working in teams and really driving larger term strategies and i think engineers tend to think like you just build technology but i think building a company is very much similar in, in that nature Obviously, I'm oversimplifying a lot of this, but you get my point. But that's kind of my tapping into kind of my engineering engineering framing of mm-hmm. how I've been thinking about companies. And, yeah, yeah. And, I, and you touched on also like the but like cross functional, right? Like every every job posting you see today, it's like can work in cross functional teams. So it's like such an important yeah. thing to do. Like, can you yeah. work with like almost a buzzword? But reality yeah. is like, can you get along with people? <laughs> Yeah, yeah you're exactly. like can you communicate the bottom line of like why this is important to me like yeah. why should i prioritize what you're telling me to do versus like some other priority i intrinsically have given like what we need to do and that matters more at a larger company at a scale at a smaller company with like 20 dirty folks you just tap someone on the shoulder and be like hey i think this doesn't look right and then they would like bring it up on the dashboard go into the code base and you're like oh yeah you're right let's fix that but a larger company, you can't really do that. It's like, okay, can we schedule a meeting? Like I have a, you know, I have an appointment with uh, this director already to go over last year's metrics. 
and you're just like, well, okay, well, this is, seems like a small problem that we could just fix in 10 minutes, but you still have to schedule something, which is important, right? Because the things you're trying to do is at that longer term horizon and impact larger kind of uh, effects. So not to like say that's a bad thing. It's important for the structure of what they're trying to do. Um, we'll love to yeah. just wrap uh, with any advice that you have, um, like closing thoughts for any of our listeners who are in this position of, you know, I want to figure out what job to get, where to go, what what role to do. Any any last piece of advice that you have? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's one that I've kind of thought about before coming in. I would say like understanding the need of a company is very important in your job search, like especially for a, a startup going from like Series A and onwards. And I've experienced it from a Series B to D. And at different stages, candidates are gonna, different candidates are gonna uh, stand out in different ways. I think at a Series B company, as I mentioned before, your generalist skills are very important because you're gonna have to work on a variety of different things. And so this core traits that a lot of companies look for, especially at scale is like, can you problem solve? Can you figure this out yourself? Can you run through walls and like really own it from end to end? So whether you're an MBA student, whether you're a CS student, it's like, can you take ownership from day one and really kick drive value? Now at a Series D company, we're looking for a slightly different trait now, right? Like we're looking for folks that can help bring that structure that we talked about. Um, that's already you mentioned around like filling out forms and making sure things. We also need expertise, right? Of how to think through these processes and if, and then if you're coming from like an MBA or CS background or whatever it is, you, you, you're, you're providing is like building the foundation for the next level of scaling, which in this case is like a lot of these processes and figuring out way to build um, the company up and, and like sh shift value in that way. So knowing your stage and what skills that company, what, what key traits companies are looking for is very important. And the two key traits I think is true across this spectrum is that problem solving ownership piece. I think that was, that's something scale looks for. And I think most startups should because um, teaching folks how to like, just take ownership, solve the problem, work with others and like frame it is equally, it's very important. And there are ways to test for that. And there's, and that's ultimately what a lot of these case interviews, case studies trying to get signals on. That's what they're designed to do. When you go to like, you know, whatever interview process you end up following. So think about it from that perspective. How can I problem solve and show that, you know, to my interviewers that I, I have what it takes to kind of solve a problem, own it and show the grit and driving some outcome. Yeah, awesome. no, I think that was, that was really great. Um, and I agree on the problem solving. Like people are like, oh, I don't see the point of case interviews. I don't see the point of like all these like tests. And it's just like, it really is just to like see can you react under pressure properly and also like think in a logical and like um, like coherent fashion essentially. So um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And Jason, it was great having you on today. So thanks so much again for, you know, just like taking out an hour on your Saturday afternoon and speaking with us about scale, about your time at Oracle, about your time at MIT. I remember when I came to MIT, that was a fun time. We went to like the design center and everything. So. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I remember that was really fun. You came for one, like a hackathon, right? I remember it was like, was it? I was think it I was, I was there just over the weekend and there was like a hackathon that we stumbled in. Upon. Okay, that's right. Like the that's right. VR 
AR hackathon, which was really cool. I mean, it was like cool to see yeah. like all the activity on campus. But um, yeah, so like thanks again for coming on. And then to our listeners, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, please like, share, and subscribe to our LinkedIn, YouTube, and Spotify pages. Uh, and we're looking forward to putting out more content. So thank you.